Welcome back. I'm Adam Stachowiak, and you are listening to Founders Talk. On this show, I share one-on-one conversations I have with founders, CEOs, and makers about their journey, the lessons learned, and what it takes to build and run their business. Today, I'm joined by an old friend, John Nunemaker. For some of you listening, you might remember his appearance on the Changelog episode 11, which was basically forever ago, or his company order list. They made gauges, harmony, and speaker deck, which was quite popular in his time. So much so, they attracted the attention of Chris Wanstraw, former CEO of GitHub and one of its co-founders, to acquire ordered list. The rest, as they say, is history. Today, John and I go back through that history to see what it was like to be acquired by GitHub and how that single choice has forever changed his life. Big thanks, of course, to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Get $100 in credit at linode.com slash changelog and get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. This episode is brought to you by Render, the zero DevOps cloud that empowers you to ship faster than your competitors. Render is a unified platform to build and run all your apps and websites with free SSL, a global CDN, private networks, and auto deploys from Git. They handle everything from simple static sites to complex applications with dozens of microservices. Render is built for modern applications and offers everything you need out of the box. One-click scaling, zero downtime deploys, built-in SSL, private networking, managed databases, secrets and configuration management, persistent block storage, and infrastructure as code. Automate your cloud hosting with Render at render.com slash changelog. Get $100 in free credits to try the Render platform, plus a world-class engineer assigned to your account to guide you along the way. Just send an email to our special email, changelog at render.com, to get access to those free credits. All that begins at render.com slash changelog. I think the best place to begin is maybe with the initial email I sent you back in 2018. And I think you were still at GitHub then, if my memory serves me correctly. And I was surprised and happy to hear the speaker deck was back in your possession. And I'm like, hey, we should talk about what you've been doing. So that's kind of where I think we should begin at least. Because speaker deck is one of those things you did sort of accidentally, if I understand it correctly. And a lot of people use it. You don't no longer own it, but it's been sort of in your journey, in and around your story. Mm-hmm. It's what led you to GitHub. And maybe let's start there. Yeah. A speaker deck was definitely a happy accident. Like I literally just accidentally passed a PDF file into Image Magic. I mean, it was just like typing a command line thing wrong. And instead of like an error, it just popped out an image. And I was like, that's unreal. Like I didn't know that was possible. And, you know, of course, you probably remember SlideShare and used SlideShare a whole bunch back then. And at that point, it was even worse. I mean, it was just like solid ads everywhere. Like you could hardly find the deck on the page. And we were like, oh, let's just make this easier. And so we were like, well, what is a, a slideshow? It's just a like it's an array of images that you click next and previous through. And if we have an easy way to convert them, then, you know, that's really cool. And I kind of, you know, stumbled on it. But then you know, Steve, my business partner at the time was like, he's like the evil genius. And he like went in and like tweaked all the, you know, pixels and crazy things like that. And came out with a way to basically get a higher quality image than, you know, my first attempt. And then uh, John Hoyt, who we had been hanging out with a lot at the time was like, 
hey, like I want to get into programming. Like, let me work on this. You guys are busy. You're doing other stuff. Like I have some free time on the side. You know, I'd like to get started on it. So that was kind of how it started out originally. So and then from there, it was like, okay, everyone we talked to, we were going to a lot of conferences. We were hustling, selling our wares, trying to get people to use our other apps. And we were like, everyone that we talked to was like, oh, can I use it? Can I use it? And it just kind of started like, I mean, this was, I don't know what it was a decade ago. So it's like back then it's like, you know, beta accounts. And like, you know, we were talking about a pre-show about like South by Southwest and stuff. And I remember when we went to South by Southwest, we actually, for one of our apps had like business cards with like a blank spot for like a, a like an invite code. And then we would use our phone to like generate an invite code right in front of someone and like write it down with a marker, like as like this extra personal touch instead of just this you know, well, auto-generated cool. printed thing. Yeah. And so like, yeah, that was back in the day. It was like, how do you get, you know, beta people and get them excited and, you know, keep it all hush hush. And it's kind of coming back around now, but for like, you know, a long time then that was not popular, but that's how it started. Everyone just kept asking to use it. And then we were kind of big into MongoDB at the time and they were re- relatively close with them and did a lot of conferences with, with them where we spoke. And they were like, hey, we just want to use it for like all the slides, like at all of our conferences. And we were like, oh, if we're going to do that, we probably should launch. And so we just kind of were like, all right. And we launched it and right before RubyConf and headed down all of us in a van. We were big on like road tripping and we went to multiple rails comps in a like sprinter, two or three of them with like, you know, 10, 15 people in it. And then this was uh, just the four of us at the time. Maybe five. No, it was five of us, I think. Went down to to RubyConf and that's kind of where, you know, where it went. It was starting with that. And I remember the first time after that RubyConf, like Matt's, you know, the creator of Ruby, like uploaded his deck on Speaker Deck. And we were like, we're like yes, yes. <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah. Because you're a Rubyist at heart, right? Like you come from yes. the world of Ruby. And so obviously Matt's being the creator of Ruby is a big deal to you because it's like, well, this person who I probably idolize in many ways. Yeah you know, godfather of Ruby essentially is using the application I built with Ruby and, you know, happy accident. Yep. Totally happy accident. That's cool. Totally built on the side for fun and then just kept picking up. What do you think your life would be like if you didn't do that? That happy accident, that one day, that, that accidental command line mistake that turned into application. Have you ever thought about that? I haven't before. I mean, I'd like to think that the other stuff we built factored into like where I've gotten today. But I think the one cool thing about Speaker Deck is, you know, every app has a level of friction to starting to use it. And our first app, Harmony, was a CMS. And that's a lot of friction because you have to We used it. Harmony for early, early on. Did you? We tested it for, for the change oh, that, that we did way back awesome. when Wim was part of the team. It was forever ago. Yeah. You know? It was, it was like, ahead of its time back then, but now it probably feels a little rusty. <laughs> what was the rough architecture. It was a CMS. Was it like WordPress? It was hosted. Was it yep. like maybe Squarespace to some degree? Was it, I know you can do your own templates. I think it had liquid templates, if I can recall correctly. Yeah. It was uh like set in the middle between like, you know, whatever Wix and Squarespace where like anyone can go and just build their website and they don't need any help from a developer. And then, and WordPress to some extent is also that way, but generally you end up with a lot of customizations and stuff. And then there's the other side where it's like, you're building a custom app from scratch and that CMS. And we were kind of in the middle. So our expectation was that like a developer would like build your site, you know, like this template requires this data and 
the pages would then be built based on that whatever template you pick. So if you picked a template that was like a blog post template, it would change the form data that would be filled out. So you'd have a title, description, tags, et cetera. Whereas an, another you know, piece of content you know, would be something different. And so it was kind of that in between. It was like, okay, what we want to do is have you know, a developer who's building a site have full control over like all the little pieces of data that they want to collect and then have a content person who's who's actually you know fleshing out the whole site their only job is just to put the content in they don't think about how things look how things work any yeah. of that kind of stuff so it's in that i guess that middle spot where harmony kind of sat and how did that work out we're all good i mean i think when we were acquired by github i think we were maybe it was probably in like the 5000 a month range which again that was a decade ago like i have to believe if we'd have kept iterating on it and kept you know that it would fully support all of us at this point and probably would have for many years. It was growing well and it had zero churn. I mean, it was like, I think it'd been mm. out for maybe two years at that point. We had had two customers churn and one, the business closed. And the other one was a friend who was paying us just because he thought it was cool. And like at some point he was like, I probably should stop paying for this. Like I'm not using it. And we were like, right. that's fine. You don't need to apologize. Like, so yeah, we had literally no churn. So that's the, the upside of like, when you have a lot of friction to get in is usually there's a lot of friction to get out as well. So churn is low, but like getting people in is low or is, is, is also. And so then you have like the next one is like, you have a website and you want to build analytics because you want to know what's going on in Google analytics. Same thing. It was like, it was a mess. It was chaos. How do you figure out, like, I just want to see, like, who viewed what pages and, you know, maybe a few other little details. Yeah. And that was super low friction because it's like you can just slap a JavaScript in a CMS or a Rails app or anything, you know, really easily and start getting data flowing through the system. And just as easily, you can take it out. So a lot higher churn and uh, but a lot higher, you know, in people signing up and stuff like that. And so then Speaker Deck, obviously, I feel like it going back to like all the way to the original question of like, what would have happened if we hadn't done it? The cool thing about it is way more people got to use our software and get a feel for like what it, how we built stuff mm. because it was free. Anyone could use it. We literally just built it because we thought this would be cool and we knew we could support it. And if it grew big enough, we could figure out how to make money on it. I think it was important just from the standpoint of getting something out there that more people could use to kind of see what we're about from like a building standpoint. But if it hadn't existed, I'd like to think that the other two pieces were still good enough or interesting enough that maybe things would have turned out the same. Hmm. To be clear, I wasn't trying to say that that was your your best swing, <laughs> so to speak, to come to some, you know, baseball terms or something like that or sports terms was just that, like, it seems like speaker thread or speaker thread uh, that would be a cool name too. <laughs> speaker deck has been this thread in your story. And like, you know, you mentioned in this blog post how in 2010 you met. Chris Wanstroth, who was the CEO of GitHub, and you know this is early days GitHub too. This is like two years into their story, yeah. And how that you know that led to an opportunity there, you know, because like we do things and we go to conferences and we meet certain people in our lives and they play this pivotal role. And maybe it's because it was a decade ago and you've been in your career for a while, and, and that's how it works. Is like eventually you build a network and you meet people and they do things for you, or yeah. they help you, or they care about you, or they include you, or whatever, or they invite you. You know, because for me, I've got similar stories in my belt where I've met specific people at conferences that, one, I wasn't even planning to go to. It was FOA 2008, I think. Future of Web Apps yeah. 2008. Wow. Forever ago. And I met Alan Branch and Stephen Bristol, mm. and we had the most wildest fun time. Yeah. But I'll never forget, like, meeting them. Like, it was the coolest. We literally had the best time ever. I still remember all the stories. 
the point is, is that you meet certain people because of certain things you do. And it's like, have you ever considered if you didn't do those few things that were like pivotal to your story or to your, yeah. your arc, you know, have you considered, well, if I didn't do speaker deck, I wouldn't have met Chris, wouldn't have worked at GitHub, wouldn't have had to do the acquisition buyback and, you know, all these things. Like, I just wonder if you've ever considered how that's, how we do certain things in our lives and they yeah. play a key role. There's definitely stuff that, well, like with Chris, the one thing with him is like, I had met him before. So like we had met at several conferences before. So this was kind of just like us kind of just catching up from like, oh, I haven't seen you in four months or six months. Like what's going right. on? Okay. But at RubyConf in uh, Charlotte, I think, or somewhere on the, the East Coast was one of the first ones. And then of course the Portland Rails Confs and stuff like that. But it's very true. Like you just have these random, you know, by putting yourself out there, going to conferences, you know, and I think I said it in the post, but like, it's all about meeting people. It's about meeting people, yeah. making friends, stuff like that. That makes a huge difference. When you said that about meeting Alan and Steven, Steven I remember yeah. I had a random one I wasn't going to go to in for RailsConf in Vegas. I was going to skip it that year. I didn't have any intentions of going. And then one of the organizers reached out and they were like, hey, are you coming? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not coming this year. And they were like, we kind of need you to come this year. And I was like, okay. Well, it turned out they like, I think it just started doing like Ruby Hero Awards. And that year I was going to get one. So they kind of wanted the people who were getting one to like show up. To be there, yeah. Yeah. So I showed up and then randomly they had like a poker night, played poker, hit it off with Dez and Owen from Intercom. And like spent, you know, late into the morning and branded this uh, crazy Australian guy that we dubbed Crazy Steve, you know, who was and just had this totally random weird night where we made friends with them and met up with them whenever they were in Chicago and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where like if you, you know, put yourself out there and you do you try and, you know, do your best, put your work out there and then also, you know, go to the conferences, go to places where you can meet people. And, you know, as long as you keep putting stuff out there, then people will be able to kind of keep up with you and those relationships definitely, you know, they make a difference down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I mean, the point really is to anybody listening is like, you know, as much as somebody can preach networking, even if you're not a networker, it really is just more about relationships and it's like specific people Mm -hmm. in my life. I got some of the best advice and I would say in many ways that advice from Steven has led me to the path I'm on now. You know, it wasn't the only piece of advice, but it was pivotal in that he was like, listen, you know, if you can't trust this person, if you can't do, I forget what the exact advice was, but it was like exactly what I needed then. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought I was attached to somebody else and my, and that my, and maybe you know this too, because and maybe not, you've always worked with Steve. Yeah. You know, you've always been a sidekick or, you know, not so much a sidekick, but like you've been together. So you've been sidekicks together. Yeah. It's like, well, am I valuable without Steve? Am (laughs) I valuable without this other person? You know, you begin to like, not so much doubt yourself, but like attach yourself to someone else because they're comfortable. It's normal. It's normal for you. And that we all gravitate towards comfort and ease and normality just because. And, you know, long story short, Steve gave me some great advice and I really, really appreciate it. So. And Steve is no longer with us. Yeah. Sad. I don't know how much you knew then, but uh, is a, is a good dude. 
Yeah. I went on the less cruise with them, which was one of the best, if I can, I'm air quoting, you can't see it, but I'm air quoting conferences, you know, cause it, it wouldn't it strike a you as, a, it yeah. wouldn't strike you as a conference, but we did I have wanted like to go some, to that so bad. We would have hung out, man. I would have, I oh, wanted to be there so bad. It just didn't work out that year. It was amazing. Yeah. We had, you know, great times, sun, fun, all that kind of stuff. And then there was like a few talks here and there where we just like got in a room and, you know, and people presented on various things and stuff like that. But I just remember specifically about him, he like peppered me because I was all about Mongo back then. So he like peppered me with Mongo questions. But yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's all works out. But what I find interesting, I think, with Speaker Deck is how it led you to get up. So maybe give us a, a quick snapshot of that, of like that meeting with Chris and sure. some of the particulars there to sort of get us to where, you know, and even some of the emotion because you didn't really share it in your blog post, but like, some of the emotion behind the scenes of like, do we want to be acquired? Order list was a thing. You haven't mentioned that name yet, but order list. Yeah. I remember one of the, I learned actually the phrase form and function from your tagline. <laughs> uh, you were function, Steve was form. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and you're very much yin and yang in that regard. But yeah. share some of the emotions behind, you know, meeting Chris, the email and, you know, some of the other things that have happened to transpire into an acquisition. Yeah. I mean, at that point, GitHub was like 44 people and they were amazing. And, you know, Steve and I had ordered lists and we were doing fine. We didn't, you know, we felt like we we were going to continue consulting and having apps. And eventually we'd have our own, you know, just our apps and not do any consulting. So we kind of had that in mind. And then, you know, just went to RubyConf because that was just, we were like, all right, let's just all load up and go to RubyConf. Why not? And I think only a couple of us even went to the conference, like several just like tagged along and, you know, just hung out and had fun. But I remember just, you know, that it was in a hotel and, you know, you meet in the hallway track, like that's what people call it. And that's where you hang out with people. And I had seen Chris and we hadn't caught up in a while. So we chatted and like, I mean, it was totally nondescript. I mean, it was just like, you know, both of us are like, oh, I love what you're doing at GitHub or I love what you're doing at Ordered List. Like we were just, oh, well, how do you do this? Or how do you do that? Like it wasn't anything specific. It was pretty, probably a boring, I mean, it was a fun conversation. We had a good time, but like, you know, I wouldn't have dubbed it as fateful after leaving it. <laughs> and then, you know, we got in the van, drove back home and again, hadn't thought anything of it. Like it was just like, oh, I got to catch up with my friend again. And then, you know, just out of nowhere, I mean, it was maybe a week later, uh, I got an email and he was just like, I mean, super short. It was just like, hey, I love what you guys are doing. It was really good catching up. Like, uh, what if I invested? And it was like, he threw out an amount. I don't remember. It was like a typical, you know, angel invest amount, 10 15,000 or something. And he's like, what if I invest? Like, and that was pretty much it. And I remember like got the email. I saw it and I was probably like, you know, it was like a Saturday. I was probably sitting, you know, in my sweatpants, just watching a TV show. And I just remember being like super fired up. Cause I'm like, I mean, GitHub was awesome. They were like everything back then, you know, yeah. it was like, this is the coolest company. This is 2010. No, yeah. What, what, no, what time of 2010? Was it early or late 2010? This would have been, actually this would have been 2011. It would have been November November, 2011, okay. around then. And so, but yeah, I mean, they were cool. They're no managers, no anything, flat structure. At that point, they had moved out of like the first like tiny office and into HQ 2.0, which is like the, you know, the next one, which was the first one that was kind of like lavish and- Had you know, the Oval Office or the- Yeah, yeah. Was that had, right? Was it called the Oval Office or was it Octo I, Office? I don't know. That one, I think was HQ 3 was the Oval Office where they had like, yeah, it was- uh, that was even that was after funding. This <laughs> HQ2 was pre-funding, so it was not that lavish. But they had like the situation room and they had like 
this other room, you know, they had like fancy leather chairs and like old globes. And I, I just remember, you know, it was cool. Yeah. There was games, there was lots of work areas and lots of cool stuff was happening. So that was like huge. I remember texting Steve like right away. And like, I was just like, I didn't even know how to respond. Cause I'm like, Steve and I didn't need money. We were doing fine. Like we weren't crushing it or anything, but we were doing fine. And so we were like, well, what, you know, what, what do we, we do how here? do we, yeah. How do we respond? Cause we're like, GitHub was obviously going to be successful. And so we were like attaching yourself in some manner to somebody who's successful is a good thing to do. Like generally, it doesn't usually, if somebody is on a rocket ship going up and you grab on, you know, that's a good thing. So we're like, well, that seems good to have him. He would have connections. He would have ideas. Like we like him as a person. So that was like really exciting, but I didn't respond because I was just like, I don't know. Like I'll, we'll just think about it. So then the very next day he was like, sorry, like I just got excited. Let me tell you why you should do this. Like, and then he went on this big sales pitch of like himself, which was hilarious because we didn't need a sales pitch from him. You know, it was like, I literally just hadn't responded because I, I was like, so, you know, shocked and happy and excited that like, I didn't know how to respond. And so he did this long pitch and we were like, let's just meet up. He flew into South Bend, you know, not a huge town, but good size, 100, 150,000 people. And so we hung out the one night, talked a bunch, had a good time. Earlier in the day, like it had transitioned, like we had this tiny little office that was like this like three story building. And then, and it's like huge, you know, brick square, totally boring, like a bunch of like healthcare and like boring things in it. And then there was this tiny little tower on it with two floors, four and five. And that was our office and we had bright colors in it and all the, it was fun. So we were in there and I remember like, it was always really hot because the air conditioner like never worked. So we're like warm and talking about like what could happen. And Chris kept talking about like, well, like investing. And then he changed to like merging. And we're like, well, it wouldn't be a merger. You guys are, you know, huge and we're small. It would be, you know, something. And he's like, yeah, it would be an acquisition. Well, what if we just acquired you? And we were like, oh, wow. You know, and then we, I remember we went out to dinner and picked the nicest restaurant in South Bend at the time and stuff like that. And had a blast. The next morning, I think I wrote it in the post. We we got, it stuck with me because baked oatmeal is like my favorite food. Like, have you ever had it? Oh yeah. Yeah. I want to compare recipes as a matter of fact. I, I mean, I don't have a recipe. I went to the restaurant for it, but like, oh, okay. I, okay. yeah, but like, I mean, it was, it's so good. It was this like conservative, almost not Amish, but kind of real conservative family. And they had this restaurant and it was, it's not in South Bend anymore. So rest in peace, but like it was the best baked oatmeal. And it, our office eventually moved to the same building as that. And I got baked oatmeal like way too many mornings in a row. But yeah, so we had baked oatmeal. He had never had it before. And I was like, you just need to trust me. Like, just get the baked oatmeal. That probably is what sealed everything. Like, you know. Really? Make yeah. somebody having their stomach in there. Yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Yeah. So he enjoyed the baked oatmeal. I enjoyed the baked oatmeal. Steve was lame. He didn't get baked oatmeal. So it's never been a, a big yeah, you thing have for him. To. But it was fantastic. Did it have walnuts in it and raisins or what kind of? Describe um, yeah. to me this. Give me some of the highlights of their oatmeal. Was it just think, oatmeal? Would it have apples in it? I think this was a blueberry. Okay. It was different. Like sometimes it would be apples. Sometimes they, I think blueberry was the most consistent. And then, you know, like plain or like cinnamon and stuff like that. Yeah. But they would have, you know, randomly, they just tell like, oh, we got this fruit. Like, let's just throw this in it instead. Sure. Like any kitchen. Yeah. A big old square, you know, a baked oatmeal and brown sugar and you smother it in milk. And wow. it's basically just like baked oatmeal cereal. That should probably be a podcast alone. Yeah, that should be a podcast. I, w- I want to share my recipe, but that's not this. That's not the podcast <laughs> for it. Because actually, I haven't made my oatmeal in uh, I want to say about a year mm. for just who the heck knows why. Yeah, uh, COVID. 
tomorrow. Pandemic. Who knows why? But I just haven't made it in a while. But every time I do make it, it's like, this is the best. Anyways, yeah. yeah. So he flew back, you know, San Francisco. We thought it went really well. Like, I think he, you know, was like, here's, you know, the kind of jobs we would give you. But like, we didn't really discuss details of like the acquisition. Just like, you know, if you start, like, here's where you would start, you know, salary wise, or here's where you would benefits like you know listed some of that stuff but there wasn't any talk of like actual numbers and stuff and then he hadn't talked with anybody like an else actual acquisition number that wasn't concrete that was not concrete it was just like we had just talked and was there we a range were, discussed no we hadn't even discussed a range this? how did you well, trust this, this system? at this point it was just like he hadn't even talked to the other like founders so he was like he was like i want to do this but Sound i haven't BJ. talked to them yeah so like we need to talk to them and like figure out like from there kind of what to do. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, that's cool. And it, it was mostly just like, should we do this or not? And we hadn't said yes. They, and he hadn't said yes. Like it was kind of just like feeling it out. Neither of us had been involved in an acquisition of any sort. We like, if you picture somebody like in the dark, walking around and like stubbing their toe and running into things, that's literally what was happening. Bunch of rookies. And then, you know, we went out to San Francisco, Steve and I did. And I remember we met in the situation room and it was, you know, the founders and, uh, and then like, uh, you know, Kyle and Tomeko and some of those guys were there too. And they showed us like a bunch of stuff they were doing, like behind the scenes stuff. That was kind of cool. Like Adam, they showed Adam. It was like just a, I think a dream in Chris's head at that point, but that he had kind of like got it working and stuff. And so we were kind of excited about it. And then, then we talked some more concrete, you know, numbers and stuff like that. And they sent us, you know, back home. And at that point, again, we still hadn't said yes. So we're like super excited because... Again, going back to like GitHub was everything. GitHub was like the coolest company that we could imagine ever working for. And the only company we would leave ordered list to like join. And so we were like, okay, like that's, you know, awesome. But from the standpoint of like, should we do this or not? Like it wasn't a a wow offer or anything. Like we were going to get great jobs, great benefits and like, you know, some equity or some options and stuff like that and some cash up front. But it wasn't like a wow or anything. So we're like... I don't know. And I think everybody actually, if I remember right, and I could be conflating this, I don't know. But if I remember right, I was on the fence and everybody else was like, where do we sign? (laughs) Because like everyone's like, I mean, it's GitHub, you know, and especially like the guy, the guys that worked for us, like they were very fired up about it because I mean, overnight they were going to, you know, get, you know, much larger salaries because we were paying, you know, more like South Bend Midwest ranges at that point. So I remember like going back and forth on it quite a bit. And then talking with my dad and hilariously enough, I remember him saying, you're talking about the emotions. And like, I was thinking at this point, like, okay, you know, there's five of us in the company. Four of us are like, yes, we should do this. One of us is like, I don't know. Like, I think it could be good either way. And like, how do you choose between two, you know, good options? Like, it's pretty easy when you have one bad option and one good option. But like, when you have two good options or two bad options, then the decision's a little bit more difficult. And I'm like, well, we're doing good as we are. So maybe we should keep doing that. And it's like, well, would you rather own like, a, you know, basically everything in something that's small or like fractional, fractional percentage in something that's large, you know? And it's like, at that point, you couldn't tell, you know, how big it was going to be or any of that kind of stuff. And I remember talking with my dad and he was like, you know, you don't, you don't get anywhere being an employee. Like he was like, yeah. you know, you, you want to be an owner. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a good point. And I was like, well, I respect what you're saying, but I have a pretty good feeling about this, about GitHub. And I think so, GitHub is an, as a, yeah. a good exception to the rule, honestly. 
it turned out to be that way. I was very fortunate uh, that it turned out to be that way. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's hard to predict, but it just seemed pretty obvious and inevitable that like it was going to become a really big thing. And so then it was like, uh, I remember it was like the morning of my birthday, we had kind of, I had kind of mentally decided like the week before that I was, everybody else was yes. And I was the only one holding it up. So I was like, you know, that's how I remember it. Again, memories are tricky, so I could be misremembering it. And if any of the OL guys are listening and they correct me, that's fine. But like, I remember, you know, telling my dad I was going to do it. And he was like, you know, you should at least negotiate once. Like you can't just accept what they're saying. That's right. I'm like, yeah. oh, never accept the first offer. That's a good point. You know, so know your value and push back a little bit. It's funny, but like, that's such a, a basic thing, but it's like, you know, if you've yeah. never done it before, you think if I negotiate, then it might go away. But it's like, that's not what happens usually. Like if you negotiate, no. they just either say no or they compromise in some fashion, you know, they being the other side. So, you know, I've definitely learned that now, like whatever comes to you first, always negotiate for better because why not in anything? And especially like job interviews, things like that, you should always do the same thing. You know, you always ask for whatever, 10% more, 20% more or some other, you know, random benefits and stuff. So yeah, it was like, it was one of those things. I'm like, okay, well, I'll try that. So they had offered, you know, like uh, some amount of cash and then that we would all get uh, ec- like option packages. So not equity, but options and stuff like that. So we're like, okay, cool. So what I thought was like, well, we're all about the long term. We're not about the short term. Cash is short term. You know, options are long term. So like, let's go for that. So I think in the article, I said, I asked for twice the options, but we actually, I looked back and I found the email. We asked for uh, almost four times the options which is kind of funny and baller. Yeah. I, you know, again, what's the worst thing that could happen? They could say no, like, no. yeah, not a big deal. He's already expressed his deep interest in, I mean, you're in San yes. Francisco. It's not like you're on the phone. Yeah. You can hang up. And that was a whole experience too. I mean, they flew us out. I mean, GitHub again, they were like, at this point they were making really good money. They were, you know, not as lavish as, as post funding, but we went out, you know, for steak dinner and like all that kind of stuff as well. So it was, it was definitely a good time, but like, yeah. So we asked for like, I think it was 3.5 times. The options were like, cash is fine. We don't even really care about that. It's mostly like we care about the long term and being like more, you know, vested in the, the future of the company. I think that's probably the common thread. Like that's worth pointing out is like Steve and I have always been long term focused, like long term value, even in our current company, we're like, Let's cap the short term at where it is and let's focus on using anything over the cap towards long term value. That's definitely, you know, paid off. It's possible for that to not work because long term value could cannot be realized, but it happened to, you know, work out okay in this situation. So but yeah, so that was kind of we asked for that. And Chris was like, you know, we talked about it. We're not comfortable with increasing the options. We feel like it's a relatively fair amount. Like we think GitHub's gonna be huge but we can do more with the cash. They ended up doubling the cash. And so they did half upfront and then like half, you know, like a year later, which is, I guess mm-hmm. now I've learned is, is a common acquisition thing. There's like always like a retained amount to mm-hmm. cover potential, some sort. Yeah. yeah, to potent, you know, Edge lawsuits, bets. all kinds mm-hmm. of things like that. Anything that could possibly go wrong. Same thing happened with Microsoft later. There was like, you know, I don't know, it was like four or 5% that just got held back. So these options, were they taking away from Chris? Tom, PJ, the the founders, those with equity, at least in the company, were the, was it taking away from their positions? I can't say for sure. I don't think so. I think they, at some point, they created like a pool for employees okay. when they came in. So at, at that time, you know, when you started at GitHub, you got X options just as by default. So like all of our people that were working with us, 
basically came in with you know those default options. And then Steve and I, because we were the owners of the company and it would take more to entice us, then we got more than like this the default standard package. But yeah, as far as I know, they had a pool at that point, and I don't think it was coming out of any of their pockets. Up next, John and I get into the details of the acquisition from GitHub and how Chris Wanstroth was wanting to build, quote, a strike force, end quote. And John and his team at Waterlist was exactly what he was looking for. That's next. This episode of Founders Talk is brought to you by AuthZero. AuthZero is a for developers by developers identity platform built for the cloud era. They secure billions of logins every year. Identity is the front door of every user interaction and the login experience can make or break a user's first impression. Identity and authentication is never a set it and forget it thing. That means when teams decide to roll their own, they are taking on the full burden of constantly evolving industry standards, customer expectations, and data breach tactics. And they often don't have the time, expertise, or resources to meet those needs. This takes away from critical time needed to innovate and to improve their core product. AuthZero has solved this problem for every developer to give teams their time back and to make applications more secure. With AuthZero security, compliance, and industry standards, they're always up to date. Developers are free to provide the login options their users want with the security their application demands. Make login AuthZero's problem, not yours. Learn more at AuthZero.com. Again, AuthZero.com. With older list, you had certain upsides. Obviously, you had your own control, as you mentioned, keeping it, you know, owning 100% of something smaller yeah. or owning a little bit of something bigger and the ride along the way. You know, what do you think about... Because it seems like it was a speaker deck acquisition, but I guess it was order list too, right? Because you had some employees. Yes. Recalling back now, what do you think it was they were really wanting to buy? Was it just like, was it an aqua hire? Or what? Because I mean, mm-hmm. not much was done with speaker deck once it became part of GitHub and it wasn't really part of like social coding, which was what GitHub founded upon, right? I mean, it seemed connected partly, but not fully. I guess it'd be different if you like powered, you know, the speaker decks by repository and you just sort of, you know, consumed the API, which was probably still in its infancy back then, 2011. Yeah. I mean, yeah. OctoKit was a thing back then, I think. I think it might have been, gosh, I forget what it was called back then. Not OctoKit, it was something else. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember either. Um, and I think Wynn actually had a part in it too, so. I think he definitely like a, did. A yeah. 007 thing going on. I don't remember, but it was something. <laughs> Anyways, probably not safe for work, but yeah. What do you think? What do you think they were wanting to buy? So I think it was basically an aqua hire. So they wanted like, I remember Chris saying several times, like he wanted like a strike force. He wanted like a group of people that like, obviously we had proven we worked together really well because we had made three products in like two years and successfully. Yeah. So they seem to be doing With well. Customers, and stuff like sustainable that. employees. Yep. So they were like, okay, we just want a team that works together that we can just throw up problems. You know, so it was definitely an aqua hire, but it wasn't an aqua hire from the standpoint of like, like they couldn't just aqua hire us like and just like, OK, you stop what you're doing and like switch over and like, you know, do this. So from that standpoint, because we had created, you know, like recurring revenue and other things, there had to be 
more than just, you know, the standard like, well, here are jobs and like a little bit of, you know, signing bonus or whatever, which would be like a mm-hmm. typical aqua hire. I mean, I think that's like another, you know, smart thing to do is like, you know, build something that like, you know, makes it more difficult to acquire you that makes it so that the offer has to be better. But yeah, so for us, I, I know that he definitely wanted like a unit. Hilariously, like as soon as we started, we all five went in different directions and worked on completely different things. No two of us worked together in almost our entire time at GitHub. So you were there how long? I was there seven years. I think Hoyt is still there. So he's now under Microsoft. And then I think it was somewhere in between, you know, two or three years and Hoyt, who's still there for all of us. So mm-hmm. it was uh, Matt, Steve, and then myself. And then Brandon was like a month, maybe a month after me. And then Hoyt's still That's there. Right. Brandon so. Keepers was part of the team. I'm trying to recall all the people of order list. This is so back in the day too, because I paid attention, but I wasn't like a fanboy or anything like that. So I knew who was involved, but can't recall the name. So, yep. so yeah. Okay. Yeah. Matt Graham, Steve Smith, Brandon Keepers, John Hoyt, and then myself. So all Midwest. Brandon Keepers was head of open source for a bit there too. He was. Yep. Yep. He did that for a while. Worked on a bunch of different stuff there. So, and actually he's probably going to be joining us on Flipper pretty soon. He's been doing a bunch of work with us. So, and he kind of got excited about it. And I think we'll have some of the band back together again on that. So. Mm. I think what's interesting too, I suppose, is, is that GitHub was built on Ruby on Rails. You know, you were a Rubyist and that's probably a big part of it. Like they were acquiring a lot of people yeah. at that time frame. Yeah. What a wild ride, man. That's so crazy. It definitely was. Did you think, you know, as part of that, I mean, we all can see the inertia. I mean, at that time, even our tagline here at ChangeLaw was open source moves fast, keep up. Thanks to Wynn. <laughs> Wynn came up with that one. And it was sort of a snarky ending. So if you know Wynn and you know his humor, Wynn Netherland, by the way. Yeah. Just for the audience sake, I know you know who he is, John. <laughs> um, but, you know, keep up. You know, it was moving so fast. We knew open source was very much this center of gravity of what, what was happening I described it as a black hole, except for it seems negative, but more so in the fact that it's a positive, that it's got so much gravity, GitHub and open source. Open source was winning. People were moving towards it. Obviously, this podcast, not this one in particular, but our kind of primary brand, ChangeLaw Media, was built around what is you know open source today. The ChangeLaw began around that. Did you know, really? I mean, you were involved in open source. You were very successful with open source. Did you kind of take all that into stock, like, if I don't get on this GitHub train, I may regret it. Did you ever think like, was that part of like, I know you mentioned your dad in that conversation. Did you have those inner thoughts? Like this is one of those moves one day, 10 years from now, if I don't, and we're almost 10 years, we're more than 10 years from then. Yeah. If I don't take this move, if I don't do this, I might regret it. I can't say that I thought I would regret it. I think I genuinely thought either way would be good. I didn't think either way, like, going with GitHub or staying on our own path and just continuing to bootstrap, I didn't think either way would be bad. I felt pretty optimistic that like either way would be good. I wasn't concerned about regretting it, I think. I think my only worries for regrets were probably that losing control. I would say I'm the kind of person I would much rather have control over what I'm doing. And so, you know, GitHub was like, well, you had autonomy. You could do whatever you wanted. So I think as that autonomy went away, which, you know, there's no way to foresee that when you start at a company, like there's no way to foresee, like, you know, will you be involved in strategy or will you be able to choose what you work on or, you know, who you work with or stuff like that, that kind of thing. It makes sense. Like looking back that like, that's going to constrict and that's going to change. Like as the company gets bigger, it has to pretty much. 
I think that was my biggest worry or if I were to think about regrets, it would be thinking about that. Like I remember back when we were trying to decide, I was like, well, you know, that was one of the biggest things that Steve and I kind of pushed for that wasn't like financial in any way. It was like, we wanted to be involved in strategy. We didn't want to just like join and just like work and not have any control and not have any like chance for impact. Control seems bad. Impact seems yeah. good, but you know I what I mean? I that word better. I, agree. I know what you were saying, but I think it's important to make that distinction because, you know, you were already making an impact, you know, in my opinion. I mean, you got a, a great product, speaker deck. The business you were running was very influential in terms of the open source you're producing, the design style that Steve had. And, you yeah. know, you had a very specific focus on the function, not just simply the form. And I think in many ways you had a, a strong brand for mm-hmm. list, in my opinion. So I think, you know, you want to make sure that you can have impact and not just give, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you got your own thing, yeah. you want to give that up to have impact, not just simply show up and be an individual contributor with no real, no real autonomy to where the thing is going, especially at that time of GitHub, like it, it was still being shaped. I mean, it had a lot of yeah. inertia, but in many ways it was still being shaped. I mean, every day there was a new feature of something, there was a new direction it can go. And, you know, you got to be a part of what that could be. Yeah. And I think it was amazing to like, look back and see, you know, how that kind of came about and how that went, you know, going back to the original, like from a standpoint of my concern about regrets, I don't think I really had any concerns other than, you know, the impact. That was the only thing I was worried about. I was like, will I be able to have an impact? Cause it was obvious, like you're saying, it was growing and changing so fast. It was like, you know, how's that going to be? It was obviously going to be big. And so how am I going to, you know, have an impact on that? And I think to some extent, you know, looking back, I didn't really have a huge impact. Like I, I spent a lot of time in the deep, dark corners and things like that. I didn't ship anything public. The most public thing was probably the traffic graphs and and some of that stuff, which still exists today. And that's cool. But like most of my stuff was, was behind the scenes. It was stuff that like, you didn't know if I did it, you only knew if I messed up. (laughs) So like if I messed up, you know, then you would know about it. That was, I mean, definitely neat and fun. Well, looking back, you know, that was my concern was impact. And that's probably like, if I were to go back and do it again, I think that's the thing I would change. I would probably go in and like try and do more of the shaping and the public stuff, but you can't and that's okay. It went, it went fine. So. Are you still in touch with Chris today? No, you know, no, not really. I, what's funny is like, I hadn't really even thought about it. Cause like COVID's, you know, been the last year or whatever. So like, I feel like it's not seeing people or not, you know, being in touch is definitely like. Normal. Yeah, it's normal. And so I've actually like the last three months, four months been pretty proactive about reaching out again to people and being like former coworkers and stuff like that. Even if it's just like, you know, emoji on an Instagram post, just just like talking to people again and stuff like that. But Chris was like, I don't want to like say what he was thinking or any of that kind of stuff. But like, it's not easy to run a company that grows like that. I mean, it puts you in pretty much like rock in a hard place all the time, especially when you spend the first, you know, four years hiring all your friends. And then, you know, the company grows and needs different things. And, you know, inevitably some of those friends are going to part and it's not going to go as well. And I feel like yeah. you become a, a CEO or whatever, you are the CEO of a company that's that large and that public for, and has things that go wrong and they're public things that go wrong. And you just naturally like set back publicly. So, I mean, we would say hi at summits and stuff like that when we got together and stuff like that. But I wouldn't say, you know, once both of us, I would say, stopped going to conferences, we didn't really talk a whole lot. I remember I emailed him after like the, probably the last time we had anything to say was after the 
Microsoft bought GitHub, I like emailed him, just thanked him. Cause I was like, you know, I don't know. I have no idea what you're feeling or thinking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I was like, I appreciate it. Like this turned out, you know, great. And I just wanted to say thanks. And I think I sent it to like, do you remember Ozum? Like, oh mm-hmm. yeah. I think I sent it to that email address. Cause that was like the only one in my address book. And I'm like, I don't even know if GitHub addresses. I mean, I assume they're still working, but like, I didn't know if he was checking it. Cause now he was like a fellow at Microsoft. Remind or whatever. me what the name of that was. What was uh, the name of their original company? They were Ur- that was his personal though. Oz was his personal, but then they yeah, had Oz like- was personal. They had Ur the blog or Air Free. Or it was like Ur like E R R Free, I think, or something. Wasn't it something awesome though? I forget it was something awesome. Oh no, that was Tom. I think it was logically awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was yep. trying to think of okay. Yeah. I think that was the, the what GitHub started under for a while until they, you know, went legit with all the C Corp or whatever and all that stuff. But right. But yeah. Interesting. Well, at least you emailed him and said thanks, right? I yeah. Mean, he ended up replying. He just didn't check that email hardly at all. So it was like three months later. He goes, dude, sorry. I did, totally uh, don't check this email ever. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it was, that was probably, probably the last time. Did you just say, you're welcome? And that was it? Or was it just like, you know? Yeah. Oh, it was, it was typical Chris. Like he what was just about really. about oatmeal? You know? Yeah. Can, no, can, I don't remember if we South talked. Bend? That's a good question. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we talked about that. I honestly don't remember because like I didn't even look that one up. Like when I wrote the speaker deck post, I looked up some of the original emails because I was like, I don't remember the facts on this stuff. Like it's been, you know, I've I've listened to enough like, you know, psychiatry, psychology, like all that kind of stuff to know that like when you remember something, you you change the memory every time you assemble it again. So like I'm like, I don't know if this if I'm even saying accurate things here. So. I uh, went back and looked at some of them, but I didn't look back at that one. So I don't actually remember what he said. I remember it was just like short and sweet and like, you know, like, hey, oh, cool. Hey, you're totally welcome. Whatever. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was good. I need to email him again. Just had to find the right email address, I guess. <laughs> yeah. This show isn't about Chris, but I have to say this as well, that I've always respected Chris. I know that what a challenge it must have been to do what you said, to hire, you know, aggressively if not your friends, friend of friends. And so the last thing you want to do is upset your friends or hurt their feelings or treat them badly or not fully respect them or treat them. And as a CEO, I don't know, are you a fan of Silicon Valley by any chance, the TV show? Yeah. Remember like the, I think it was episode number one. I hate that I know this show so well, but the episode (laughs) number one, Ehrlich Bachman had to tell Richard Hendricks, and I can't say this word on the show, you have to be an a-hole essentially. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. the whole, the whole ending of the show is about him being not kind and sweet that you have to do things that are this way because you're a CEO. And I don't know how much of that's cliche and how much of that is real, but I know that at some point you get very ostracized Yep. or sorry, very isolated because you're the only one dealing with these particular problems. And in many cases, you can't even share them. Yep. Right. Cause yep. in many Legal ways, reasons. it's only- it's a lonely yeah. job. And some, you don't want to like upset people. You don't want to cause any distress or too much excitement, potentially, you know, it's a challenging position. And so I have full empathy for Chris going through that, but Hey, good thing that, you know, there was an acquisition from Microsoft, which, you know, we talked to Jason Warner, uh, CTO of GitHub now currently. And I don't know how much you know of him or if you were there when he was at GitHub. I was for a little bit. Yep. He was very much the orchestrator of that. So if you personally don't know of that story, you should go listen to the episode because Jason shares essentially play by play of the acquisition of Microsoft at GitHub. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I've heard some, some details. It's, I just never know when you hear things, you know, behind the, 
closed doors, you're just never sure like what's true and what's not. So like, right. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely heard lots of stories about it and stuff, but like at that point, I mean, GitHub was huge. So like to know what anything that was going on at the C level or VP level or any of that kind of stuff, I had no clue. I mean, I remember counting it up one time towards the end of GitHub and I was like, I don't remember if it was eight or 12 like layers below Chris at that point. And I remember thinking how crazy that was. Like, you know, when we started, it was like, it was one layer. And then, you know, eight years later, it was 12 <laughs> or some ridiculous number like that. So. Next up, John and I try to reason with why it's taken three years to get him on this show and the happy accident that put him into position to acquire a speaker deck back from GitHub. This is a cool story. Up next. This episode is brought to you by Snowplow Analytics. Snowplow is the behavioral data management platform for teams. Maximize the value of your behavioral data using Snowplow Insights, a managed data platform that's built on leading open source tech is leveraged by tens of thousands of users. Capture and process high quality behavioral data from all your platforms and products and deliver that data to your cloud destination of choice. When marketing needs to make data-informed decisions, when product needs next-level understanding, when analytics needs rich and accurate behavioral data, Snowplow is the solution for data teams who want to manage the collection, processing, and warehousing of data across all their platforms and products. Get started and experience Snowplow data for yourself at snowplowanalytics.com. Again, snowplowanalytics.com. And by SendInBlue. SendInBlue is a fantastic platform for growing businesses who want their digital marketing and sales tools to help them thrive. Do it all. Email marketing, marketing automation, CRM, transactional emails, smart segmentation, live chat for your site, landing pages, sign up forms on Facebook ads. Take your digital marketing to the next level. Head to sendinblue.com slash founders talk and use the code founders talk to get one free month and 100,000 emails. Again, sendinblue.com slash founders talk. I said at the top of the show, let's go back and begin with my email. What's funny is my email to you was around, you know, me being happy for you that you were able to acquire a speaker deck back from GitHub and, you know, kind of give new life back into it. And there's a story arc there, but that was 2018. We spent what the better part of like almost three years trying to get you on the show. Essentially <laughs> life's happened. I think you got an RV. Yeah. I can't recall if a kid was in the email or not, yep. but I've had a kid since then, 2019. My my son was born December 2019. So we've both been through some things, but I'd wanted to, because I was a fan of Speaker Deck too. And I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of catch up with you and just share. I know that that's not your full story. We've sort of dwelled there quite a bit on Speaker Deck and GitHub and all those details, but I don't want to close it off abruptly. Is there anything else you want to share around that? I know you eventually acquired it back. What's worth sharing? What's some lessons learned we're sharing from this experience? I mean, obviously you got a huge fan of open source. You're still involved in open source, you know, a huge fan of what GitHub is and has become, and you've moved on since then, but Speaker Deck was acquired back. That was cool. That story. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, that was actually kind of like a, I was like, a, oh, I won't say accident too, because I was like, I was kind of maintaining it because everybody else, you know, had kind of moved on. And so I just kept it running and, you know, occasionally would add things to it and stuff just in my, I mean, honestly, in my free time. And I remember we started getting a couple support requests here and there of people wanting to buy it. 
they were like, hey, is it for sale? And like, I remember asking and everybody's like, I don't know if it's for sale. Like we'd have to vet the buyer, you know, and that kept coming back. And so finally I was like, all right, this isn't going to happen. Like it's just dying right now. And so if we don't do something with it, you know, it is going to permanently die. And I was like, I just liked it again, because it's kind of the, you know, looking back, it's like the theme or the thread that ties a bunch of that story together. And so I was like, you know what, I'll bet the buyer, like, are you guys okay if I bet the buyer? And everyone was like, yeah, that sounds fine. Everyone being like, I don't know, my manager and other people levels up. And so I was like, all right, I'll bet buyers. And then as I was thinking about that over the weekend, I remember I was like, why don't I just buy it? Like I'm already maintaining it basically in my free time. It wouldn't be any different, except now I would have ROI. You know, if something good happens to it, like I'd have ROI. That's again, comes back to impact, you know? So I think on that yeah. front, that that's kind of where, so I was like, you know what? Let's just try it. Like I was like, again, I don't think I've thought about it until like we're talking about it now, but like the common thread of like, you never know until you ask. <laughs> so like worst mm-hmm. case scenario, when you negotiate is like, they say no. So I was like, I remember, I think I offered, I don't even remember. It was like, at that point it was losing like a thousand bucks a month or or more just from hosting and and AWS bills and stuff. And I was like, all right, I'll give you like 5,000. So basically like this shows that I'm like real, like I'm genuinely like offering for it. And I will take on the burden of a thousand dollars a month and vetting the buyer, all the, the problems that could possibly arise from selling it and any possible, like, you know, negative impact of closing it down or any of that kind of stuff. And sent that up the tree. And at some point they were like, you know, yes. And, you know, I mean, they dropped dropped the price to like, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about any of that kind of stuff, but like they were basically, like, I mean, it was like an order of magnitude lower. They Be were just vague. like, Be yeah, vague. in trouble. They were like, whatever, it's fine. Basically like Bob gave it to me, which was kind of right for like a negative 12,000, you know, recurring revenue <laughs> half a year. So I was like, all right, so I got it. And then there was like all this kind of like, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? They like said yes in August. And then it was like December and then it was January and it's like, oh, okay, we've got like a a document now kind of together, but we got to get it all approved. And finally it was like, must've been just before June, like June 1st or something like that. And it was like a Friday. And I remember it was so weird because they were like, hey, we need to sign the papers today. Is that cool? And I was like, today? I'm like, we went, (laughs) you know, like how many months, like nine months, I mean, almost a year since like they said yes. And now today- it's got to be signed, whatever. So I was like, yeah, cool. I had already like started a company like maybe three or four months before knowing that I would need it in order to acquire it. So I was like kind of prepped and I was like, all right, cool. And we signed the paperwork. And then the next day I was like at the park with my son, we were just playing and I got a text message that was like, uh, Hey, did you see the rumor? I'm like, what rumor? Oh, Microsoft's buying GitHub. I was like, what? No, I didn't see that. And then I was like, Oh, wait a second. So I read, you know, makes sense now you read all the articles, but like I, you know, there was a ton of rumors about like, oh, LinkedIn's going to buy GitHub. X is going to buy. There was a bunch of people that were going to buy GitHub, you know, and it never happened. So I just kind of was like, whatever. And then all of a sudden that, you know, later that evening, I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, if that's true, then that would make sense why they would all of a sudden get rid of Speaker Deck really quick because they wanted to see it live. And so, which is, I think that's a really cool thing. Again, it's just like another GitHub Sure, they've made a ton of mistakes in the past, whatever, 10 years, but they've also done a lot of really, you know, great things too. Yeah. And I just felt like that was one, you know, nice last kind of like gesture. And so I got it, got it back, signed the paperwork. Three days later, my daughter was born. And of course, right before that, I mean, literally like the day before that they announced the Microsoft rumor was true internally. They were like, you know, it's true. So then we went into a waiting period where we had to go through like, 
had to get approved. Like 90 you know. days, right? It was like 90 yeah, it was days a, of a waiting oh, for it. It was longer than that, I think, because it was from June, like June 1st or 4th, somewhere around there, June 4th, I think, all the way till like November. It was November something when it actually closed, the date that where they signed the paperwork and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it had to get approved by like, I don't know, was it at the SEC or who, somebody like in the US and like the EU and Europe and like all these, you know, I remember there were these big dates that it, like, they're like, everybody starts getting real nervous because if, if this doesn't work out, then it's going to push the date back and, or change the price or things like that. But yeah, so that was kind of a nuts way of getting it back. And then, you know, obviously Microsoft acquired GitHub and then I was on paternity leave, which was like the perfect time to be on paternity leave because everyone is running around like, you know, chickens and trying to get everything, you know, everything lined up for this Microsoft acquisition. And I was just on paternity leave, just chilling with my kids, which was pretty awesome and stress-free. And especially because at that time I was on the security team and they were doing like a ton of work. So that kind of felt, <laughs> I felt bad, but also I was like, well, yeah. it was just good timing. <laughs> and I was planning on coming back mostly because I was like, you know, I don't know if this is going to go through or any of that kind of stuff. And then like, I remember it closed on a Friday and my first day back was Monday. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm resigning. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. So then it was like, okay, we got speaker deck kind of hacking on flipper cloud. And so, I mean, that kind of is the end of that story. And then kind of went on to fewer and faster and joining up with Steve again on mm-hmm. fewer and faster. And then also on box out sports and other thing that we're, we're working on together. So, but yeah, it was definitely crazy. So you weren't there really for the, the acquisition. You were there really for the acquisition, but not so much for the ownership and stewardship of Microsoft. Yeah, I was not. I literally. What made you resign? What was that? Was it because you had these other opportunities already lined up and you had planned to anyways? And this was just like whatever was it? Yeah, I had no interest in like, honestly, at that point, I was completely done with GitHub. I was kind of just nestled myself into again, like a small corner on the security team with people that I really enjoyed just to like try and make it through. Like, you know, they always talk about golden handcuffs and stuff like that. And it's like, at this point, you know, like there was still, I had some options. Most of them were like exercised because of various problems that had happened in the past with stuff. And so like most of them were exercised, but I still had like, I don't know, I remember what it was like 25% or something were like options. And it, it was enough where I was like, okay, I can kind of get a sense, you know, based on funding rounds and stuff that like, as long as this doesn't totally crash and burn, you know, what this would maybe be worth. So I should probably, you know, stay here. And so I just try to show up every day and do something, you know, positive, but I did not like being in a thousand person, 2000 person company that is going back to impact. Like you can't, unless you're really high up or, you know, ready to put, willing to put the time in at this point, I had family, you know, I wasn't going to work, you know, more, any more than whatever, eight hours a day or something. So that was really what it came down to is like, I just wanted to I didn't want to try and put the time in to even see if I could make a, a bigger impact because of family. And so if I'm not going to do that, let's just show up and do something positive every day and, yeah. until it is liquid or or something else comes along. So that's really what it came from. And then, you know, once it was done, I was like, okay, like this, that seems like a good time as any to leave. I Part of me wanted to stay till like December 5th would have been like, I think seven years on the dot. And I think I left like November 21st or something. So it was like, not quite that perfect seven years or whatever, or, but I was like, well, it's close enough. That's okay. So no one's counting. And I was, yeah. And I was done. Only you. I, was, I was ready to go back to high impact. I suppose LinkedIn, if you maintain your LinkedIn six and a half years, not seven <laughs> years, John. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I probably fudged the date on that just so it would say a seven. I wouldn't be Is surprised. That right? Okay. I, didn't yeah, check I don't it. know. I didn't check it either, but I probably, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past me. <laughs> nice, nice, uh, odd round numbers. Rather than six and a half, seven. 
I mean, that's interesting, though. I mean, that you were able to, I guess, prioritize your family and, and your values over that. I mean, you had been there seven years. Though. I mean, I guess my first thought was maybe it was a Microsoft thing, you know, Microsoft acquiring mm-hmm. GitHub. And I think that we all had our suspicions of how it would turn out. And I don't know about you, but I'll share my opinion. I'm quite happy with with where yeah. GitHub is today. They're listening. They're doing things. And I think, you know, we've been pleasantly surprised by the stewardship of Microsoft, of GitHub. I think Nat Friedman's ability to CEO that company very well has been, you know, instrumental in the success of recent. So personally, I'm very happy with it. I don't know if you had some concerns around that, but you're happy to feel free to share them if you want to. But that's my perspective is that we have a better GitHub today that we need. And going back to my, I don't know if it's a a shared opinion for the world Mm -hmm. or not, but I I feel like GitHub is definitely a black hole not in this blackness, but more like the gravity, like everything is circling around open source yeah. and everything that open source is circling around GitHub. And it's the center of gravity of software, essentially. I mean, the NASA mission recently going ingenuity is interesting. Like that helicopter on Mars, for example, had open source code on it and they worked with JPL and NASA to sort of go back through dependencies and all that stuff to confirm, you know, that curl was on there and that certain Python Things were, you know, were involved <laughs> yeah. in all this mission. I mean, that's cool. I think that's yeah. really cool. That's not something we had in open source back in the day. Like, I guess 10 years ago, we kind of had some of those things. But I mean, we came from a a CSV world, you know, like a, I forget what was even before Git. But I mean, like. Subversion, a, yeah. Sub- subversion, that's what I remember. Right. I remember having my own SVN, subversion yeah. server, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have a different world of creating, collaborating, and having impact in an open source world than we have had before. And, you know, the GitHub you worked for was still that same GitHub it is today, but it's just different in terms of its functionality as a company. And I feel like they just have done just a tremendous job of like leading what we need as a society for open source, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not in my office right now, but my office is basically Octocats everywhere. So, I mean, it's to this day, I'm, I've got four or five different, you know, pieces of artwork that I got while I was at GitHub and, you know, Mona Lisa, the Octocat, Hubot plastic figurines. Like, I mean, it's basically like a shrine to working there for seven years and getting swag for free all the time. So I'm just starting to like retire. I actually bought, like after I left, I bought more t-shirts cause I couldn't get them for free anymore. And I'm kind of just at the end of those. And now I'm starting to like switch to like, you know, different stuff that's, that's not GitHub. Was it fewer and faster is the name of your current business? That is, that- I don't have any uh, sweatshirts yet or anything like that, any swag yet. I need to get some swag yeah. going probably soon. But yes, I have good feelings about it. It wasn't Microsoft. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I hated Microsoft for like a lot of years. Like when I went from Windows to Mac, you know, like the old commercials with I'm a Windows, I'm a PC, I'm Windows, you know, like, I mean, I was totally on board with those commercials. I hated Windows. I thought it was terrible. I didn't like Microsoft. I ignored them. I didn't pay attention to them. I I can't, I have not used Windows in 15 years, probably. I would, didn't even know they existed anymore. I just totally did not pay attention. And, but then when I started looking into them, when I saw the rumors and stuff like that, I was like, oh, they actually seem like kind of a decent company. And like the you know CEO is a Satya or whatever. Like he seems, you know. Satya Nadala, yeah. Yeah, pretty interesting. And so, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't. So I had no problem with Microsoft. And I actually thought it'd be funny for me to like work at Microsoft, except for I was just like, you know what? I just had a second kid. I've had paternity leave. Like, I don't need to go right back to work. So I was like, I'm just going to take some time. It's been seven years of like ups and downs and burnout and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I'm going to take some time off and just move on. And now that I'm on the outside, I feel like I'm a bigger fan. Because at the end of GitHub, the last two years or three years, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan. 
anymore, but it ended positively. And so now, like if I think back on GitHub, I don't hardly even remember the negative or the bad stuff. I just remember the stuff that, you know, that's good and, and happy. So time heals all wounds. Mm-hmm. So we've covered lots of ground in terms of your history. You know, I ask a few questions as a prompt for producing this podcast. Not all the questions make it in. In many cases, the questions I ask is just to sort of prime the conversation. At least that's what I say. But I want to ask you some lessons learned. I know that you've been down a long road. You've ran your own thing. You've been acquired, acqui-hired. You worked at one of the most successful, impactful, you know, startups turned unicorn companies, I would say, in the world. You've got to have some lessons learned. So if it's 20 of them, it's one of them. I don't know how many lessons you got, but share some lessons that you've learned along the way. Yeah, it's funny because I don't think back of like what my lessons are. But when I was writing that post, like a bunch of them, you know, as I was writing it, I was like, actually, there's some things that, you know, I've learned. I should maybe like highlight that. So there's definitely some things. I mean, I think the some of the obvious ones that come to mind, we've already talked about, you know, it's like uh, you don't know unless you ask. Like if you're, you know, not feeling fulfilled in your job or things like that and just find out, can I do a side project? Is it allowed? You know, make it above board, make it obvious, like say, I'm going to do this, but I won't do it on work time, you know, start something on the side. I think that's like one lesson. Another lesson is like, always have a side thing. Like everything, you know, financially, people always talk about like investing, you know, like do index funds and diversify and like this kind of stuff. And it's like the same thing in your career, your career should be diversified. You shouldn't just have you know, and I think I learned this the hard way, like for a long time, I mean, it was all just on paper, like any of, you know, financial, whatever net worth or something, it was just like on paper with GitHub and like, it, there was no diversification, you know? And obviously like I was saving for retirement and things like that, but it, when everything is in just in one company, like whether you have options or not, if you just have a job and you work for that company, you're still, everything is in that one company. Like always have a side hustle. I think we definitely did that at Ordered List. We consulted full time and we did products on the side. And it wasn't like, well, I have eight hours, so I'll do six for consulting and two for this. It was like, well, we'll do eight hours of, you know, whatever, six or eight hours of consulting every day and another two to four of app development. I mean, we worked kind of two jobs for quite a while. And I don't know that that's you know, healthy or whatever, but it definitely, I think having something on the side is a good thing. It keeps you learning. It gives you something to control, which, you know, and make a large impact on, which is nice. So, I mean, I think those are two really nice things. Always negotiate, always ask, always have something on the side, always focus on long-term value. I feel like saying always is probably the wrong way, but hopefully everyone knows what I'm saying. Like take everything (laughs) I would say with a grain of salt. Like that's how I take everything everybody else says. So please do that. Don't like just, okay, well he said this, so do it. That doesn't make any sense. But like focusing on long-term value, I feel like I've seen just for me and then also for, you know, people around me and stuff like that. It always seems like it's the good thing. It's a long-term is the thing that really matters. Like short-term, if there's some suffering or short-term, there's some you know, financial implications or stuff like that, that's fine. But like focus on, you know, long-term value. I feel like that's something that I picked up. And then I think another thing that's kind of interesting, maybe not, but is the kind of two different paths you can go on, uh, at least from like the, you know, me looking at the tech side as a programmer or whatever, you know, one side is like, you know, a startup and it's like high impact, you know, you can make a lot of changes, you know, probably not as good at benefits and salary and things like that, but that's one path. And then the other path is like, you know, like you're just, 
I don't want to say cog in the wheel in a bad way, but like you have like your one thing that you do. You don't wear a lot of hats. You're like, you're on the security team or you're on the high availability team or whatever it is. And so those two paths have different pros and cons. And I think it's actually really good to do both of them. That's one of the things like when I look back, just, you know, whatever the 10 years or 15 years that I've been doing this, like, I actually really liked that. I started with like some small, you know, just like consultancies and then, you know, worked at the University of Notre Dame, which was like really big. And so there's, you know, thousands of employees and there's, you know, a lot of nice, really great benefits, a lot of nice pros and cons for working there. But I was like, oh, I don't have control over anything. I can't make an impact because I'm limited by, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, which are just like institutional things that aren't going to change. And so then it was like, okay, pop out to order list. Now I have a lot of impact again. Everything I do directly affects my bottom line and the people that I'm working with. And that's really neat. And then, you know, working at GitHub, same kind of thing. But then eventually it became kind of more like Notre Dame where it's like, again, you don't have that impact. You don't have that ability to do it. And I feel like getting that oscillation between the two, like now I feel like I'm in a a nice place where I have a really good idea of like what I like to do. And if you don't do both, I feel like you can't really get that. So, I mean, I think that's the thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is like that I'm really thankful that I've worked at both big companies and at small companies and not just small companies, but small companies that like I don't own. So I think it's nice to be an employee. It's nice to be an employee at a big company and it's nice to, there's lots Mm -hmm. of different pros and cons and you should go out and do both of them. If you're brand new, go out, get a job at a big company, you know, make some money and then go out and build your thing on the side and then switch over to your side thing when you feel like you can make it happen. I feel like those are good paths that aren't necessarily risky, but they're focused on, you know, long-term value and they give you a lot of experiences, which kind of will shape what you could actually do on your own later on. So those are probably like the main things or like that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. It's important to get experience. And I think that's sort of a, an aspect of be your own scientist in terms of like what you want from your career, what you want from your daily impact in, you know, your quote work, because I think it's kind of easy to accept the default. The default might be get a job or you might have your eyes on a particular startup that you're like, I love that brand. I love that business. I want to work there. I'll do anything to work there. And then you might get there and you're like, oh, that's not actually for me. I'm, I'm really more entrepreneurial and I wish I could do these things. And so getting that experience is, is sort of crucial to sort of laying the foundation of really where you want to go. And I guess all roads lead back to you and Steve, at least <laughs> in your story, because that's kind of where you're at now. How did you, what are you doing now? How did you get to this? What exactly are you guys working on? I know you got boxed out and you got flipper cloud. What are you guys working on? How did you guys get back together? Was it like, Hey, you know, I know we haven't worked together in like seven years, but we're still pals, right? Or did you guys keep in touch? Are you neighbors? What's your relationship like? We're like 20 minutes from each other. So, you know, he left GitHub, I don't know, maybe a year or two before me, but he did the same thing at Notre Dame. We worked together there and he left like a year before I did. So he had left, he was doing box out. And so when I left, it was just kind of natural. So I was like, Hey, like, I don't know if you guys are looking for more people, you know, but if you are, and, and then at that point, you know, I was like, well, actually like, you know, I would like to be an owner. So I ended up just kind of buying in. And so I used some of the Microsoft money to buy into this. And so, you know, there's four of us were owners equally. And Steve and I do all the dev stuff for the app. And then we have, you know, somebody who does like design of the templates and building of them. And then we have uh, another guy who does sales and the four of us just kind of split the tasks up and do them. And Steve and I, like, again, even when we have something that box is going great, I mean, it totally pays, you know, all of our bills and it's doing really well. We're looking to grow and probably hire soon. But even then it's like, well, 
we always have something on the side. The problem mm-hmm. is we had too many things on the side. So we had both Speaker Deck and Flipper and we're like three apps for two developers and trying to push them forward. It was just like, it was not possible. So we were like, exactly. okay, yeah, let's focus. Let's cut out Speaker Deck. Flipper's my passion. You know, we know dev tools and stuff like that. That's what we've kind of always built with Harmony and Gages and things like that and GitHub. So we're like, let's focus on Flipper on the side and, you know, blocks out is like our primary thing. So it comes back to that form and function thing. We just work really well together. We appreciate each other's like ideas, business-wise, development-wise, you know, all the way through. And we also live, you know, probably 20 minutes from each other. And now I finally led the way. So I got the RV first. Now he's got, you know, an RV as well. So we went on a trip last fall during COVID. We just, it was like, actually worked out great. We just, all the kids are in e-learning. So we're like, okay, let's just pick up as two families and yeah. basically have our own little road isolation trip. It was great. Went down down uh, Southeast and Cape Hatteras and right on the ocean and all that. It was really cool. So, so yeah, I mean, I think we work well together. We're better together than separate. At least I would say that, you know, I'm not going to speak for him, but like, I feel like either of us, you know, alone, you know, I don't care as much about the design. He doesn't care as much about the code, you know, and you put us together and then we both make each other better. So that's kind of like how we ended up back together. It's just like a natural thing We're, we live close. We hang out. We're good friends. And then additionally, like we both do the same kind of skill set. And so we just naturally end up end up yeah. working on the same stuff. Why not, man? I mean, I can respect that. So Flipper Cloud is something you're working on. And if I understand this began as open source from you, is that right? Yep. And and you turned it into, would you call this a commercial open source company? How would you frame this? You know, what's the license for it? What's some of the yeah. details on like the, how you're able to monetize, I suppose, open source? I have a post drafted of like how to go from open source to paid. So it'll eventually go out uh, when I have time to write it. But like for us, it's like, Flipper is like for feature flags and stuff like that. It started as open source in like 2013. It was just an idea, whipped it together, didn't use it. A bunch of people started using it. And I was like, that's cool. But like I wasn't a user. And then we, in 2015, we dropped it in GitHub and it's been powering GitHub's feature flags ever since then. And I kind of saw like how it changed things for us there. You know, like Chris could be on stage and he would at, at Universe and he'd be like, and here's our new features. And bam, it would our chat log would just be like eight new features would get enabled, you know, and Everything was just out. And I was like, that's awesome. It was really powerful. Wow. And so seeing that, I was like, maybe there's some way I could do this. Like, you know, there weren't really any hosted services at the time. It was like 2017. LaunchDarkly was just starting. Split, some other ones were just starting. And I saw them started getting funding. And I was like, maybe this could be a thing. So Flipper's built on adapters. You can adapt the storage to whatever. So it's like, here's a basic format of like, what the adapter needs to return when these methods are called. And as long as it can do that, you can store it on disk, in memory, in a database, you know, multi-level caching, whatever you want to do. And so I was like, what if there was a cloud version? And the cloud version, you know, just like centralized all the storage of things. And then, you know, locally, you would just kind of sync from that however you wanted during a request, outside of a request, background thread, didn't matter. Again, because it's all built kind of on that adapting storage idea. And so that's kind of how it started. So we started adding like centralization and authorization, things that people would pay for, audit history, you know, anything that like is hard to do in the open source version because adapting like audit history to like every single, you know, database that we support for the feature flag, you know, stuff would be hard. Analytics would be hard across every single, you know, like building the same analytics thing in like every database is not my dream. (laughs) So instead we were like, okay, let's just centralize and then just have one place where people can send everything. So that's kind of how it's going. So it's per seat right now, pricing 
and it's Ruby and, and Rails only. We'll probably branch out to other stuff eventually as people ask for more, but that's kind of the goal for now is, is just that. So Interesting. Ruby and Rails only, huh? Yeah. I mean, Flipper's a Ruby gem and that's how it started. Right. And so we're like, okay, there's two models. We can like, you know, spread out and, you know, add JavaScript and whatever node and add Go and add all these other, you know, whatever, like client libraries. And we're like, or we can just say, you know what? There's already like hundreds of companies using maybe thousands using Flipper. What if we just tried to like build something that they would find valuable that would solve their feature flag problems and centralize it and just focused on that? So your model now is then converting open source users to paid users essentially because they have yep. cloud needs, makes it easier, hosted by means managed, right? Yep, yep, exactly it. So we have a central service and that central service like stores the feature flag config, the audit history, the authorization and permissions, like all that kind of stuff. And all you got to do is just, you know, one little token and pick a, a local adapter that you're going to use, like, a, you know, Active Record in, or Redis or Mongo. There's a billion of them. Um, if you need faster, you can cache those adapters, too, and memcache and all that stuff. And it yeah. just does, you know, nice, fast local reads and syncs from the cloud with webhooks or however you want to do it. And that's kind of the model. It's just like take those open source users and say, all right, here's some things that would be hard for us to do for you in open source, but are easy to do in a central version. And here are things that like, you know, like you wish you could do in open source, but you can't. And so we're just going to take all those things, put them in, in a, you know, a hosted version effectively. And that part is not open source. So it's just like more like an API and, and a regular SaaS web app. Yeah. That's kind of how that works. So. Interesting. Well, John, I know that uh, we've taken a lot of your time. Interesting, fun story. Thanks for taking the time to catch back up. I'm kind of bummed it took so long to get this call in place, but I think it's been better delayed than it would have been maybe in 2018. I don't know about you, but I agree. I appreciate, uh, you know, you and Steve's working relationship, you know, how you focus on business. You keep things simple. You have a focus on family, which I think is a great value and really appreciate you sharing your story here today. So thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on. This was great. It's been way too long. It's probably been over a decade since our last changelog interview. And I, I mean, it was a long, long, Forever long ago. time ago. Yeah. yeah. So it was good to catch up again. It's good to talk to you, John. Thank you. What's up, Adam here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Founders Talk. If you enjoyed this show, do me a favor. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Insta. Share it with a friend. Tell someone you love this show if you got value from it. As you know, we're backed by some awesome partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. Check them out. We get tremendous value from their services, and you might as well. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our awesome beats. Breakmaster is our beats master in residence. Thanks again for tuning in. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time. 